Good morning. It's good to see you. It's good to be back. If you don't know, I was in Haiti. If you don't know, I feel useless. I'll just leave now. Anyway, it's good to be back. Great to see you guys. I know some amazing things happened while I was gone. Uh, Some great talks. Ricky last week was magnificent. I was crying as I was listening to him. I know you guys were here. You were blessed, but it's great to be back. I wanted to share a little bit about Haiti, some of the things that have taken place. Let me tell you about what happened in Haiti and Then we're going to go into Genesis a little bit, and hopefully I can connect these things together. Uh, Went down to Haiti last week sometime, or Wednesday before. It was the 12th that we left, I think. Dates, you know, you lose like a day. That Wednesday doesn't end. Like I left Wednesday night, and you don't go to sleep until like... Thursday night or something like that. So I've like been mixed up. I'm like missing a day. And then you come back and you get it back, but not really. You know, it just kind of messes with you, you know, as you go down there. Anyway, so if my dates are out of whack, forgive me. We went down there and we collectively, if you don't know and have just maybe come here and if you're visiting, welcome. Welcome to Genesis. Uh, we have raised money for a cafeteria for one of the schools, St. Andre's School, there in Haiti. And we raised $20,000 in just a few months. And so we went down there to give Jeannot the check. And we did give him the check that first night, I believe, that we were there. We went and had dinner at his house, our team and then another team that was there from Maryland. And we kind of take him aside. And there's this thing you do in Haiti where you take someone's hand and then you pull them aside and it means I want to talk to you. And I learned some of these little traits, how to... It's really interesting. You'll see people in Haiti and two guys walking down the street and they're holding hands and it's just how they do things. It's just endearing. And when you want to call someone out to tell them something special, you grab them and you pull them towards you and it's saying, I want to talk with you. And so I learned that and so I did that with Jeannot. I grabbed him and I took him into the kitchen and I pulled him in and I said, I just wanted you to know... You start building the cafeteria. And I gave him a check for $10,000, and he was very emotional. His eyes welled up with tears, and he was very grateful. And he was like, thank you, thank you. And so I want to say thank you, because you made this happen. And I got to experience the emotion of it, and I just want to relay that emotion to you, that what you've done has touched the hearts uh, of Jeannot, and it's going to touch the hearts of a lot of people there in Haiti. And so thank you guys. Give yourselves an applause for what you've done. He said he's going to actually start on the construction, planning for it this next week. And so I look forward to seeing the things that are going to take place. As he was there, Aaron Borja was there. Aaron, where are you? I know you were here somewhere. There you are. Aaron was there, and Aaron's an architect. And so Aaron gave him some ideas on what to do. They included three stories, a window with a view. No, it was just something simple. But he gave him some ideas, and Jeannot was very receptive to that. And so... As they move forward, we'll be able to get some progress reports and see how things are happening. Uh, But it was a great thing to be able to go there and contribute with that. During the trip, there were a number of things that took place. Four years ago when I went to Haiti, I went with a group from Maryland down to a city called Seval. Seval is quite a ways away. It's actually not far, but everything takes forever to get to. 
So like from Port-au-Prince, if you were, you know, to fly like a crow flies, it's probably only a few miles, maybe 20 miles. But if you have to go on a four-wheel drive and you have to go in a four-wheel drive, it's about a two and a half hour drive and then it's about an hour hike down. And so I got to go with the group again that was going because I hadn't been there in four years. When I went the first time, there was a tarp that everyone met under. It was one building. The school was one building and a tarp. And so I wanted to go and see the progress that was made. We took the journey, went down there. And as we arrived at the top of the hill, now let me remind you that the top of the hill To get to the hill, you have to hike up from the school about an hour and a half. It nearly killed me on the way back. But when we got to the top of the hill, there were all the children from the school waiting for us. They didn't know when we would come because no one's able to call and say, hey, we'll be there in 10 minutes. Okay, we'll start hiking now. You'd have to start hiking an hour. They were just there for I don't know how long. And as soon as we pulled up, They started singing. And so we're welcomed by these children who have made this trek and hiked up and are singing to greet you. Yeah, talk about feel welcome, okay? It's an amazing thing. And so it's very touching. And then they help us with all our equipment and gear hike back down the hill. And so we all hike down together. And we'll show some pictures more on Facebook. I have posted some, but we'll be showing more later on. And so we go back down, and now they've built a school. They've built a latrine. There's a well there, and it has changed the area because of what this one church has done. And it was very encouraging to me to see how this is shaping the rest of the community, and it's given a lot of thought on other things that can be done. They've actually got some goats that they've given to the school. So the school is raising goats. And now you're thinking, how exciting. But that's food, okay? They've got chickens. They've got little pigs there. They're really cute. Don't think about it too long because you're going to eat them later. You know, but it's really cute stuff that's going on there. And, and they're looking about actually taking and raising some crops. We went to a mango farm where they raise mangoes or grow mangoes. You don't raise them. You grow mangoes and limes and uh, avocados and those things that they can start trading at the market and then using that to provide for the school lunch program. And so this one church is committed to the school and to this community. And it was very inspiring to see the progress that was made in four years. And it's given me a lot of thoughts on how maybe we can move forward in the future. I just shared those things with you. As I was there in Seville, a lot of our people were there at the school where we were helping to build the cafeteria. They taught the kids how to grow some plants, and there's going to be some pictures. There's one picture that Denise took of the school teacher preparing wood for the fire that they build to make lunch. Okay, how many of you are teachers here? Raise your hand if you're a teacher. Okay, just you teachers, do you ever go out and chop wood? to make lunch for your kids? Probably not. But that's what they're doing. And so we're going to give this guy a break, okay? And a lot of them by building this cafeteria. And so it was great, again, for them to connect with the kids there and see the area where we're going to build the cafeteria and connect with them. And from there, we took another trip, saw some other places. There is a kind of a site where 
A lot of people can go in. I forget the name of the place. Um, but it needs a lot of work where it can accommodate a lot of people to maybe do work kind of like what we've done in La Posada where you go and you can rest here and then work from this location and then come back. And so we went and saw that place that might be a possibility for us to take groups down there because we really want to stay involved in helping with the progress. And and there is progress being made in Haiti. The tents are almost entirely gone in Port-au-Prince. There are still some scattered about by scattered about abroad. Um, but by no means is the difficulties over. But it's great to see progress. And so we want to continue to help in that progress. And maybe this site will be an area where we can help. And then we got to go to this place that's like a resort. I mean, it was like a resort. It was beautiful. I feel bad because I went to this resort and... Now I'm telling you about it. I'm confessing. I went to Haiti and was at a resort. Uh, but it was a great opportunity to see, again, the potential that is there. And it was nice for us, after being busy for the first part of the trip, to be able to go and kind of decompress and think over all the things that were happening and enjoy some time. They have a pool, swimming, and just a nice place to eat. It was nice to come home, have a in and out just to make it official, I'm back. Uh, But I want to encourage us as a community to maintain a heart that is postured outward to try and help the world around us. We want to do it in our community and we want to do it abroad. We're doing it in Mexico. We're doing it in Haiti. These are the two areas that we have stepped out in. And again, I am grateful for you and this community that has been able to do quite a bit for such a small group as we are to make a difference in these areas. And as we continue to do that, may our vision continue to to not be limited to the good that we can cause to take place in the people and in the world around us. Because God is still working. God is always working. And we get to be a part of that work. And that's really what we're going to be talking about this morning in Genesis. If you have a copy of the scriptures, open it to Genesis chapter 5. If you need a copy, raise your hand and someone will run one down to you. And as we've been going through the book of Genesis, we've really kind of hit some bad things that have taken place in the last few chapters. I mean, it's been a rough start, right? Everything started off, it was good, and God created this, and it was good, and God did this, and it was good, and then man was involved, and then some bad things happened. I mean, then Adam and Eve in chapter 3, you know, the fall. I mean, can you imagine? That's a bad day. You have a bad day? Yeah, I just plummeted the whole human race into, you know, yeah, that's a bad day. How do you wake up cover from that, right? And so Adam and Eve fall and there's this death and this curse that is following and then their children, Cain and Abel, Cain kills his brother. And so that was the last two chapters and it's easy to get into this mindset of, man, things are just bad. But you see, things may be bad. In fact, things are bad. But God is still working. God is still speaking. In fact, after Cain kills his brother, you would think, okay, that's it. He's the bad guy. But we see God still speaks to Cain. 
God still has interaction with him. And as he leaves in the end of chapter 4, we see that God is still at work. Even in verse 19 and 22, we see that his descendants, his kids, they become inventors, discoverers, and artists. And what they're doing is trying to ease the terrifying and threatening results of the curse. They're trying to make the world a little bit better, a little bit more beautiful in spite of the curse. And at the end of chapter 4, in verse 25, we see the birth of another son, Seth, and it signifies this rebirth of hope that, well, maybe God hasn't abandoned us. Maybe God is still working here. And in fact, that is true. God is still working. God is still speaking. And we end chapter 4 with this genealogy, and we pick up in chapter 5 with the genealogy. And so it's important to understand what genealogies are. It's like, oh boy, I went to church and I heard about genealogies at Ancestry.com. But something is taking place here that it's important for us to understand. In Genesis, the genealogies are connecting us to different stories. And so from Adam to Noah, you've got about a thousand years. That's a lot of story to cover. So how do you get to those thousand years? You do it with genealogies. Instead of talking about, well, on Monday, you know, (laughs) this is going to be a long story. No, they just talk about genealogies and they pull these different names and people, important figures that took place that stand out. And they give us an understanding and connect the two stories. And that's what's taking place. But in chapter 5, first let's read verses 1 through 3. It says, this is the written account of Adam's family line. When God created mankind... He made them in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them. And he named them mankind when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth. And so we see it's almost like there's a restarting, right? Didn't we hear this already? But there was Cain and Abel. And didn't we hear he was made in his own likeness? But wasn't that in the beginning, in chapter 1? And so we see that there's something continuing going on. And God is continuing to work. And in these verses, what we're seeing is God, first of all, has still given us his image. And that image is passed down to Adam's descendants. And also notice, again, that the image that God created them in is both male and female. We talked about this in the beginning, that women, you are created in God's image. You're not created in man's image. And that's re-emphasized here. In fact, it's important to recognize that God transcends gender. God isn't male or female. But to get a more accurate image of God, you need both male and female that we both represent God more fully together than just a man or just a woman. That there are traits and characteristics in men and in women that exemplify who God is. And we see the scripture talks about that. Whether he is our father and we deal with him as a father or where the Lord has covered the Israel like a hen covers 
her chicks. You know, there is that motherly figure as well as a fatherly figure. There is the idea of a husband, the idea of a bride. There are different examples throughout Scripture that help us to give a give us a clearer understanding of God, but it takes both male and female to get the full reflection of who God is. In fact, no theology is complete that doesn't honor the dignity of both, and both are included. And so it's important to start off with that. And if we see that, we get the understanding that all of us, men and women, have been created in God's image and now have the responsibility to share that image with the world around us. It's important that we recognize that. And the genealogies now are going to try and help us to connect what is taking place in this space of time. Now, genealogies were important for a number of reasons. First of all, for legal reasons. And the time of the children of Israel, if you had livestock and the patriarch died, who did the livestock? Well, they belong to his descendants. If you had land, that land belongs to you because it is part of your family. So there's legal reasons why that is. But legal reasons aren't the only reason that genealogies existed. A genealogy also connected you and anchored people to the world around them. They were the history or the collective memory of their people. This is our heritage. This is our tradition. These are the things that make us a people, identifying us where we are, where we've come from. And we all have these traits that are part of us. It might be a nationality. You know, your genealogy and your family comes from, you know, Italian in my case, or maybe uh, Mexican-American or whatever. And so there are certain traits, and people come to your... I remember when my wife would go to our family dinner. She was like, why do you guys all yell at each other? We're not yelling. This is just how we talk. It's just very excited. You know, but that was just how our family, when it got, we got together, it was very loud. Why? Because this is part of our trait. We're just loud and yell a lot. And so even the foods that you have, you go from coming from a certain group of people and you have certain food groups that are part of your people, your genealogy. And these things are just part of how you identify a collective memory of this, you know, I missed Mexican food when I was in Haiti. They didn't have enchiladas. They had goat and chicken and rice. And they had more goat and they had more chicken and more rice. They did have some hamburgers on occasion, but I was a little scary about the hamburgers because I saw some of the cows and I wasn't sure I wanted to eat any of those. But... You have those traditions, and so you might even get the smell of Mexican food and think, ah, oh, reminds me of home. And those kinds of things are just part of that collective memory. But there's another thing that takes place. It's a, a living connection to the past and to important events that took place. And these are things that help them to connect their experience. The genealogy says we really do stand on the shoulders of our ancestors. We are connected to these people. And we see that real clearly in the nation of Israel. In Exodus chapter 15, we see that they take the, or chapter 13, they take the bones of Joseph, who'd been dead for hundreds of years, 
out of Egypt with them when they go through the wilderness into the promised land. Why would you do that? That would not be the first thing I think. We're leaving Egypt in a hurry. You know, there's going to be, you know, some client. We've got to run. Go get the bones. Go dig them up. Bring the bones with us. No, you get the photos, you get the dog, you know, you get those things. You don't get the bones. I wouldn't get the bones. But they got the bones because they could not separate who they were and where they came from. And God promised Joseph that he would not be buried in this land, but he would be taken to the land that God promised. And they said, we remember the promise that God gave to us. And we're going to carry that promise with us through this place. You see, what we do is forget the promise. We forget that we are connected to a long line of tradition. And we ultimately are connected to what Christ has done. And the promise that he has given to us is our heritage. And we too need to remember these things. That's what we do in communion. We remember the Lord's table, what he has done for us, and that we stand in line with him. And you see, a genealogy is a strange thing because it's just very linear. This so-and-so begot so-and-so and so-and-so and and it just goes on. In fact, as we go and read chapter 5, we start reading these things and we start noticing this kind of cadence that takes place. Starting in verse 6, it says, When Seth had lived 105 years, he became the father of Enosh. After he became the father of Enosh, Seth lived 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Seth lived a total of 912 years, and then he died. When Enosh lived 90 years, he became the father of Kenan. Can you imagine? 90 years old, and then you become a dad? Wow. Wow. Anyway, after he became the father of Kenan, Enosh lived 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enosh lived a total of 905 years, and then he died. When Kenan lived 70 years, he became the father of Mahalel. After he became the father of Mahalel, Kenan lived 840 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Kenan lived a total of 910 years, and then he died. When Mahalel lived 65 years, he became a father of Jared, After he became the father of Jared, Mahalel lived 830 years and he had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Mahalel lived a total of 895 years and then he died. We see this kind of cadence going on. Let's keep going. When Jared lived 162 years, he became the father of Enoch. And after he became the father of Enoch, Jared lived 800 years and he had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Jared lived a total of 962 years. And then he died. When Enoch lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. After he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. Enoch walked faithfully with God and then was no more because God took him away. What? (sighs) There's a change. We, We see this cadence. He lived, had children, then he died. He lived, had children, had other children, then he died. And there's this kind of, this person is connected to this person, connected to this, and the same story is going on, and then all of a sudden we get to Enoch. And just a real quick pause here. Because every one of you are thinking, but you're not saying it, how could they live so long, right? Are you guys wondering, how could they live so long? 
I don't live 962 years. Okay, yeah, thank you for asking that. Things were different back then. It wasn't just because it was all organic food, okay? No <laughs> preservatives. We know that before the flood, there was a layer of water, it says, in the sky. I mean, there is still today, there's more water in the clouds than there is in the ocean, which is mind-boggling. But there was even more so at that time. And so they believe, we believe that there is actually some kind of protective barrier from radiation and other things that took place before the flood. After the flood, we're going to see a noticeable decline in the age that people live. And so something environmentally was taking place that we don't have today, and that's why people lived a lot longer. Anyway, just a little side note there. But here's something that's fascinating. This genealogy, this line, you see, you cannot determine where you're going to be born. We are all connected into this genealogy. And with this genealogy and these traits come certain characteristics. Genetics is a powerful thing. Some of you are predisposed to be tall. I'm sorry. You just, that's how you got it. You got the short end of the stick. And then others of us were gifted to be low to the ground. And, or blonde hair, blue eyes, dark hair, Male patent baldness. All these things are, are genetics, right? And some of these things, you, you have no say in these matters. But you still have a say in how you live your life. You see, you, you don't have a say on the game board that you are playing, but you have a say in how you play this game. And so even though these people are all connected to each other, and even though these things are taking place, and one comes and then the other dies and has kids and all these things taking place, something here is going on. Time is moving on, but there's something unique that's happening. And so you have been born in this genealogy of yours to make a difference, just as Esther was when she was told, who knows if you've been born at such a time as this. Or or as Paul says in Acts 17, verse 26, that God has placed each of you in the right place in the right time so that you could understand this message of who God is. And so you are not an accident, even though you are in this line of people, you are connected. And even the people who do amazing things, whether it be this Enoch that we're going to talk about or or Moses or, you know, Martin Luther King, it doesn't matter. They are connected to someone, but they still make an impact, whether it's a lot or a little. And that is something that we each have to choose. And so they lived, they died, they had kids, but then there's this guy, Enoch. And and Enoch is fascinating because it doesn't just go on and say, Enoch lived X number of years, and after that he had this many children, and then he died. No, Enoch walked with God for 300 years. And then what does this mean, walked 
with God. Because it doesn't say anymore. That you would, I want more information. Enoch walked with God for 300 years and then was not because God took him. It's like, where did Enoch go? I don't know. He hasn't come home yet. Where did he go? I think God took him. What, what does that look like? It just gives us this simple declaration that he walked with God and then was not. And so what we're seeing is in spite of what happened in chapter 3, the fall of mankind, in spite of Cain killing his brother Abel and even Lamech killing other people, and we see this decline and we see this born, this, this living out of the curse that came upon all of us that we would surely die. And, and death is taking place. You're born, you have kids, you die, you're born. It's like this constant reminder. All of a sudden there is this person who actually walked with God and had a relationship with God and made something stand out. You see, Enoch's primary interest was God. He wanted God more than anything. Uh, He wanted God more than a recognized name, more than riches. He walked with God meant that God was a part of his life. I love that it says he walked with God. You see, you don't have to become a monk, go into a monastery. You don't have to be a person who only reads the Bible and only prays all the time. No, he walked with God. So instead of him pulling his life aside to try and connect with God, he allowed God to be connected to every part of his life. He, he walked with God. And I think that's important that we recognize that you're not able to change your space in this genealogy, this place where you were born, but where you are and who you are, that's what you have the power to change. And that's what we've been talking about throughout the book of Genesis. The power you have. Remember, the most spiritual thing that any human being can do is choose. And so Enoch chose to walk with God. It was a choice. The world was going on all around him just like it was everyone else. But in it, Enoch saw God. In in it, Enoch was able to recognize God's hand at work and he was there connected to God. Everything he did, he did with God. And then God took him. That's cool. You ever want that, right? For Monday morning, God, just take me. Okay, take me. That'd be cool. Where's Sam? Don't know. God took him. No, he's out in the street somewhere. But God took him. You see, it isn't what we do that determines how closely we walk with God, but it's our state of mind and our heart in whatever we do. So it's not a matter of you just do the right things and then you're with God. It's a matter of God being with you in everything that you do. We don't have to withdraw from life to walk with God. And he doesn't allow this genealogy that has all these pitfalls in it to define who he is. He's going to define himself in this. And he does so. Walking with God means being awake to to the mystery 
of God that takes place in, in normal life. And that there is another reality that exists more than just what we see and what we know. It's important that we recognize, even as the writer of Hebrews tells us in chapter 11, that the ancients were commended because they believed in that which was not seen. That there was something more that was taking place. They were connected to something other than just the physical reality. They were connected to God. And Enoch had that same dynamic where he walked with God. And and so God was a part of his life. And it's important for us in the difficulties and the hardships of life that we are able to still see the hand of God. Otherwise, you will just be that part of the genealogies that go on and on and on. You'll live, raise kids, go to work, and you'll die. You'll live, do this, you'll do this, and die. You'll just be one of the many people. But then every now and then, there are these people who stand out because they live, but they understand there's something more. And they connect to that, which is God. And they do something more. As I was in Haiti, I got to talk with a friend and we shared some difficulties that were in common, struggles that we had gone through, in this case with our children. And talking about these things, it doesn't change. It doesn't matter where you are, where you're born. These struggles happen. And with us, in this case, it might be children, it might be uh, finances, talking to someone Earlier, they were talking about just the, their work and the, you know, the change of business and all the things that have taken place, the difficulties that just happen in life, this line of life that we have. And as these things were happening and we're talking, there is the important thing to realize that even though this circumstance is dark, even though maybe our children are in this place, or even though my work situation is here, and even though my health situation is here, it doesn't matter what these things are. There is something more happening. That God is at work. That God has not stopped speaking. That God has not stopped working. And it might be in your children's life, it might be in your life, it might be in your health, that God wants to speak because He is doing something more. And if you do not understand that, then you will be blinded by the situation that you're living in. Whatever that situation is, whatever that place in life is, that will be all that you see and that will consume you. And you will do everything to ease the pressure of life. Maybe you'll you'll find it in, in some artistic way. Maybe it'll be by drinking or using drugs. Maybe it'll be in some other way. I I just need to try and alleviate the pain of what I feel. If you don't see the hand of God at work, if you don't walk with God, it can be overwhelming. And I don't 
want to make anyone's situation light. I don't want to make it little. I don't want to make it less. I know what it's like to hurt and to, to cry and to be in pain over situations. I was telling this person, I think I'm suffering from PTSD from some of the things I've gone through with my kids. I'm serious. There have been phone calls that you get that just traumatize you. Where the phone rings and I feel like I'm in Vietnam or something, right? I'm covering my head for the bombs to come because, boom, there's that explosion. But can you see still that God is at work. And there was a time I can remember with one of our children where I was thinking, this is it. This is probably the last time I'm ever going to see my child. Because after this, I believe that they will probably die. And how do you do that as a parent? How, how do you embrace that? You can't. But by God's grace... I was aware that he was still speaking, that he was still working. And and I can't, for the sake of time, go into detail the situations, but that night they got into an accident, they were put in jail, and I had to go and take them out and bring them home. And it was pretty amazing that they lived. And and it didn't end there. Life goes on and difficulties go on. In fact, right after I was talking to this person about the difficulties and trying to remember God at work in the situations, I got a, a text from my child saying that we went to church and it was amazing. Now, not that going to church is amazing, although I hope you think so. Uh, But to know this story and and the time where this has taken place, there's something else that was taking place in my child's life through this. And it wasn't me. They're in another state. It was God still speaking. It was God still working. It was God still doing. He doesn't stop. And you have to see that, you have to believe that, and you have to live like that. You have to walk with God so that in every area of difficulty in your life, God is at work. God is a part of it. That you see him, that you're able to recognize the mystery in the world around you, the mystery in the people around you that they've been created in the image of God. And to look at that person that you would think, oh man, there is no hope for them. God says, oh, you don't know the story that I'm writing in their life. I have not stopped working. Oh, but God, they're addicted to these drugs. They're involved with this. They're in such a low place. God said, that isn't nothing. I am still speaking. And will you take yourself out of the line of genealogy and not be defined by what the world around you is doing, not be defined by what has happened before you or what will happen after you, but stand and make your definition because I believe in that which I cannot see. I know that God's hand is with me. I am going to walk with God and I'm going to live a life as if God is a reality and let that be an example to the world around you when God does the amazing, amazing, Among the 
the unamazing, when he does the miraculous in the ordinary, when God takes a life that is just a part of many lives and makes it beautiful and allows that light to be an example to the lives around them. When Jesus says, you are the light of the world, a city set on a hill that cannot be hid. God has so much to do in each of us, and he wants to do. And out of all these names, only one person gets taken. It tells me that God makes something available to everyone, but only a few people grab it. Why aren't more of us developing this part of ourselves? Why aren't more of us recognizing this in ourselves? Why just Enoch? Why didn't the others recognize this? You see, we're given the game board, but we don't have to allow that to define who we are. This is the definition of repentance, right? Repentance is the idea, a change of mind that changes a person. That's what it means to repent. I'm going to turn around. I'm going to make a different choice. I'm going to be a different person because I believe something different. And it allows us to connect to those things. All of us are here by the way of our genealogies. Because our parents and their parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, and and so on. We're all here by way of our genealogies, but our story doesn't have to be a repetition of our ancestors. And so if you were born in a family of alcoholics, you don't have to be an alcoholic. If you were born in a family of those who were unfaithful, you don't have to be unfaithful to your wife, husband, or children. If you were born in a line of people who were addicted, you don't have to live into an addiction. You you don't have to do those things. You are going to make the difference in your own life Pull your mind out of the march of your genealogy and allow yourself to think differently and to tell yourself, I'm going to see God at work in me. I am going to recognize the reality of God in the world around me. I'm going to live my life in line with what God has for me. He's given me an instruction through the scripture and through his spirit. I am going to live my life in this way. And I'm going to see the beauty and the mystery. I'm going to believe the impossible. I'm not going to put doors where God has left things open. I'm not going to put a period where God is putting a comma. I'm not going to think less, but I'm going to think more of the people around me. I'm not going to see This is meaningless. I'm going to recognize that God is speaking. God is working. God is still doing things. And I'm going to listen. Because maybe God is going to tell me, let's go for a walk. And I too am going to walk with God. Let's pray.
God and something as simple as a genealogy, something so amazing stands out. In the mundane of life comes the understanding that there is something spectacular waiting to take place if we would not live in the mundane. That if we would recognize you in the midst of where we live, right here, right now, that something amazing can take place. That we are not stuck in our lives. That we still have options to believe and to walk with you. That you are still speaking, working, and doing amazing things in the world around us, in the people around us. And you want to do those things in our own lives. May we understand the difference between just living our life and walking with you and what that means. How you can influence our day-to-day situation. How eating an In-N-Out hamburger can be a magnificent thing. How talking with a child can be a life-changing experience. How taking someone's hand and speaking to them can involve you with us. How when we wake up each morning, there is an opportunity to walk with God. Lord, may we step out of the trap of the mundane. May we not be defined by the people in our past or the things experience present. May our lives be defined by the fact that we believe in you, we hear you speak to us, we walk with you, and you reveal to us who you are in our lives. Lord, may we take from this story your beauty to work even in what looked to be a dark situation, a hopeless situation, even in the midst of the curse, there is this bright example that a person can walk with God. And he was not because you took him. Lord, I still don't know what that means, but I want to. I want to be a person who walks with you. So may our hearts be inclined to you May our thoughts be mindful to you. May our eyes be open to see the invisible and to believe the unbelievable because we know the God whose image we've been created in. And we are going to magnify him in this life we've been given. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.